Good. Good to see you guys. I'm hoping that you're all doing well. I'm hoping that you're healthy. For those of you who are not, I know there's just stuff going around. Sorry about that. We're praying for you. Um, But I just want to tell you, whether you're here or whether you're not, I've got to tell you, I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed with you guys, uh, I-90, because as we've been making our way through this series called uh, Becoming Everyday Disciples, um, you guys have been on it. You've exceeded my expectations. You've exceeded my expectations in terms of your willingness to participate in these things um, that we're, we're doing together. Um, I've been hearing some great stories so far, you know, just casually, um, and I've been so encouraged to hear about um, your willingness to step out and to do something that maybe feels a little uncomfortable or a little outside your, your norm um, for the sake of growing and the sake of becoming uh, disciples and, and doing that together. I've been so encouraged. Um, but uh, here's something I want to ask you. Um, if you started to do some of these practices um, that, you, that we've talked about, you know, if we started to do these things, or, you know, just, it's not like you're doing it perfectly. That's not the point of this. But you, you're starting to integrate into your life some of these things that we've talked about. Would you go ahead and, like, after the service, uh, just share some of the things that would ha- have happened? You know, if you've brought someone, ha- shared a meal with somebody uh, that you wouldn't normally share with, would you just talk to somebody about uh, what's happening? Or if you've, you know, confessed, you started to b- build confession into your life, you know, not just talking about the bad things, but talking about the hope that you have in Jesus, right? Doing that, that whole, whole bodied confession kind of thing. Would you just talk to somebody about it? Not, not to toot your own horn, though you can toot your horn if you'd like, uh, but not really to do that, but just to, just to brag about God, just to, just to encourage uh, each other um, in, in the fact that actually it's, it's sort of exciting to be a disciple. It's actually not a drag. It's not, a, it's not drudgery. It actually can be fun. It's fun and exciting to see how God uses our lives. Um, at least I think that's true. So would you just encourage each other in that? Because this is part of the thing. We're trying to do this together. Uh, so far, we've covered three habits that I've been asking you to, to do, uh, to, to partake in, asking you to, to bless someone, uh, a, a believer and an unbeliever every week, to, to eat uh, twice a month with somebody you wouldn't normally eat with, and, and to confess your sins, get into a rhythm of confession, confession both of sins like and also of confessing the hope you have in Jesus. Um, I'm asking all of us to do this together, too, that the together thing is essential. I'm not just saying each individually on your own time and on your own business and in a, in a private kind of way, do these things. I'm saying, let's do these things and let's encourage each other. See, this isn't a program. This isn't um, a, a, an initiative. I'm, there's no class that I'm going to have you attend or ask you to be a part of. These are just things I'm asking you to intentionally build into your everyday life and, and to work them into your daily rhythms. And I think you'd be surprised what happens when you do that. Um, because I really believe that if we, we collectively, if all of us together commit to doing these things intentionally over a long period of time, that what we'll see is actually that we are going to be transformed because we're, we're, we're moving along with this relationship with Jesus. We're actually going to become different people, which I find terribly exciting, <laughs> personally, like just in my own life. Like I would love to become a person of greater depth, and a person who um, is used by Jesus more. Um, now, that may sound like, like, like I'm over-promising, but if you doubt me, you certainly would not doubt, doubt Dallas Willard, right? 
Because Dallas Willard says it, because that's, that's the way we settle all disputes around here. Um, the Bible, I mean the Bible, we say that, but then Dallas Willard comes right behind with the, the Bible. He says this, um, it is today necessary to assert boldly and often that becoming Christ-like never occurs without intense and well-informed action on our part. This, in turn, cannot be reliably sustained outside of a like-minded fellowship. Our churches will be centers of spiritual formation only as they understand what really does make for Christ-likeness and communicate it to individuals through teaching and example in a convincing and supportive fashion. I really think that this is what the church has to be. Understand that the disciplines and habits, like the ones that we're talking about here, are aimed not at growing the church, not at more butts and seats, not at keeping you busy so that you feel like your life is, I don't know, productive somehow, not at restraining your sin. That's not what we're aiming for. These are things that will help us grow into Christ-likeness. If we actually put them on, if we actually go ahead and step into them, and I think that is the vocation of the church. That's what we're called to together, to be doing together, to be pursuing together, growing into Christ-likeness. We are called to be everyday disciples, not people who are dutifully checking off boxes, but people who are beginning to experience everyday life as a life lived with God. Not as just like in some abstract kind of way, but in a very tangible way where we are starting to grow a, a, a deeper sense of God's presence with us, his calling with us, his faithfulness. We are not trying to be, I have a slide for this, we are not trying to be people who are trying harder to be better. Put that idea out of your mind. We are people who are training for Christ-likeness. That's what we're doing when we partake in our disciples. Don't try harder to be better. You can't do it. Train for Christ-likeness. Train for Christ-likeness. And don't do any of these things so that you can say, well, I did them. Pastor's not going to call me out on them. I won't do that anyway. These are not performance you do them to learn. These are things that we do to learn because you're going to actually try and fail. You're going to try and find that it's sort of awkward to do these things. You're going to try and, and find discouragement in the middle of these things. That's part of training. Don't try. Train. Train into Christ's likeness. People who lift weights don't lift weights because they can already lift heavy things. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I have, I have no context for that statement, but I, I don't think they, they, they train to lift, you know, to bench press 300 pounds because they can already bench press 300 pounds. No, they bench press 50 pounds, or in my case, you know, 20 pounds. I probably do more than 20, I just honestly. But um, you, 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 you start to lift less heavy things, and then you grow in and train your muscles and your body to become the sort of person who can lift heavy things. Again, why? I don't know. But because you might be interested in that. So, so training is this attitude where, where, you're, where you're on a process of development. Why, why do we think that we should just be perfect people? Jesus never called us to be that. He's actually said he's the only one who's perfect. <laughs> and he calls us in and he gives us grace and he gives us grace so that we could become disciples and we could become people who are just being filled with his presence and, and being used for his glory and being a part of the kingdom. Don't try to be a part of the kingdom. Train yourself to be the sort of person who can be growing into 
all the things God calls you to do. There's such a difference between just trying, putting in more willpower, more effort, and just understanding I'm on a process. Jesus is like, I can understand my life to be like a set of exercises that are growing me up into maturity. It's a different mindset. And this morning, we're going to move on to this, this fourth habit, and this is what it is. It's, it's corresponding to the letter O of become. Open your mouth and talk about Jesus with someone every week. Open your mouth and talk about with Jesus, with some, talk about Jesus with someone every, every week. It's a very simple task, but I imagine that just hearing about this one, you might, you might feel a little uncomfortable. Probably of all the things that I'm asking you to do, this is the one that most people would feel the most uncomfortable with. Um, hey, take out your phones for a second, okay? Um, we've got a, we're going to do something, we're going to do a two survey, two question survey right now, right now. Take out your phones. Go to slido.com uh, and enter that number, or take that QR code, and it'll take you right there. And you've got two questions. You've got one at a time, okay? So the first question is, I've got it right here, and what we're going to see is, as you fill it out, we're going to see how we are all feeling about this question. So um, hang on. There's that weight training. Yeah, see? Here we go. Would you feel confident sharing the gospel with someone, all right? So here we go. What's that music like? computer says, that's this, that's, that's it. Wonderful. Okay. Boy, guys, I'm impressed. All right. So we're getting, getting a sense of things. Would you feel confident sharing the gospel with someone? And uh, it looks like we're going to end up with slightly under 70% are saying yes. Okay. Which, good job. Way to go. I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed with that. Some people are saying no, about 15% saying no. 50% saying not sure. Okay, you know, we're, we're, we're thereabouts. We're in that area. Okay, so, so that's how we're feeling, okay? It's just, it's just a temperature check. A lot of us feeling confident, but about a third of us saying eh, no or maybe. Okay, and I've got, I've got one more question for you. You should be able to see it now. What word do you think of when you hear the word evangelism? What's your, like, gut reaction to the word evangelism? We're going to get a word cloud as we all type. It's going to be really fun. Billy! I mean, all right. <laughs> Preaching? Yeah, okay. Oh, Billy Graham. There we go. That makes more sense now. Thank you. <laughs> wow, okay. Salesmanship, Graham. We've got a lot of Billy Graham, yeah. Jesus, sharing Christ, witnessing. Arg. I like arg. <laughs> That's good. Good news, spreading, Witnessing the 90s. <laughs> I like that one a lot. The 90s. Salesy, preaching to multitudes. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. I like how much, how much we think of Billy Graham. I really like that. Think about Billy Graham like he was a guy who gave his life to Jesus and he, he shared the gospel with a lot of people. Um, so this has been fun. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for being willing to do that, doing this. Oh, yeah, we'll keep it going. That's fine. Um, arg, yeah. So we have a lot of feelings. We have a lot of impressions. We have a lot of gut reactions when it comes to sharing the gospel with evangelism. And um, I just wanted to remind you about exactly what we said about all the other disciplines, all of that goes for this here. We need to do such, a, such a, a careful job. We need to be attentive 
to resisting the very real temptation to turn spiritual disciplines, disciplines like just talking about Jesus with people, into performance. Especially on this one. Because if you, if you just kind of grit your teeth and force Jesus into a conversation because it's th- something you think you should do or something that you have to do, um, I think it's going to make you miserable. <laughs> what I would say is, just like, like we're talking, don't, don't try train. Don't try to be someone who opens their mouth and talks about Jesus. Train to become the kind of person who would do that naturally, just from, from the overflow of your heart, of your mind. I think that's who Billy Graham became, right? I mean, he was not, um, in his youth, like, like a particularly um, powerful person. Um, and I think he certainly presents as very, being very charismatic, but what Billy Graham had was, was a series of, of growth exercises, right? A series of, of, of growing his faith to the point where he could just become an extremely persuasive person who, who's persuasive at sharing the gospel. But not actually, if you listen to him speak, not actually somebody who is overly complex in the way that they talk about Jesus, but just honest and direct. Like clearly when Billy Graham talks about Jesus, he's speaking from this place of depth. Now, some of us have like some negative feelings, you know, like arg, and thinking of like door knocking. Door knocking, that makes me, that gives me palpitations. Uh, in the 90s, I mean, that was also, <laughs> also you know, some, some of us have like positive experience of evangelism. Some of us have negative experiences of, the, of evangelism. Um, but, but I think like wherever we're at, I just want us to think for a second about how we um, would become the kinds of people who, like Billy Graham, just like become people of depth for whom just talking about Jesus is very natural. Next week, we're going to actually talk two weeks on this one. Next week, we're going to talk about really practical how do you do this? How do you recognize, you know, opportunities to share the gospel? We're going to have some special guests come up and, and share along, uh, along next week. So I'm excited about that. This week, I'm actually just going to focus in on one thing, because I really think there's just, there's just one thing that we need to deal with in our hearts if we're going to be the kinds of people who are sharing the gospel uh, with other people. And it's simply this. I really just think there's this one thing that matters. To become a person who talks about Jesus, we need to stop being agnostics. I, I, this, give me a second. Just give me a second. An agnostic is someone, as I'm sure you know, who's just not sold on the idea of God. Not against, but not particularly for. Someone who thinks, well, maybe there is a God, or maybe there isn't a God. And moreover, I think an agnostic is someone who has just resigned themselves to the idea that, that they, they've just decided to move past the question because they've decided that there's no way they're going to get an answer either way, right? As opposed to an atheist who said, definitely not. And agnostic just says, I don't know, and I'm never going to know, and so I'm just going to move on with my life. They've decided that they, they don't know if God exists, and they're just going to move on. They're resigned not to know I just want to be really clear about something. An agnostic is not someone who is struggling with doubt, who is, is really just like wrestling with God and asking these questions. If you're a Christian and you struggle with doubt, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about right now. Doubt is, I think, the norm, a, a part of the normal course of the Christian life. It's going to come up at some point. You're going to have questions that require answers, and you're going to be struggling with those, and they're going to agitate you. That's not what I'm talking about. 
to, to have doubts in question is not, not to be... Um, is not to be agnostic. Rather, it's someone, uh, an agnostic is someone who, who begins with doubts, and then they just take a step away and they resolve, man, there's really just no way that I'm ever going to come to any, I'm never going to get past this question. No way to resolve that doubt. And so they, they accept their position as someone who is just going to be unknowing henceforth, from this point on. And my point is not, by the way, to pan agnostics. That's not it. I'm actually quite sympathetic to the, the position of people who are agnostics because, honestly, we live in a culture that has, that has uh, made inert, made useless any way of knowing things about God, which we, which we certainly have, but we've convinced ourselves as a culture that we couldn't possibly know God, and that's just wrong. But it's culturally accepted. So, so I'm really quite sympathetic to agnostics. I'm also sympathetic to agnostics because, honestly, the church has failed, I think, at times to offer thoughtful and honest defense, a, a thoughtful and honest defense of the gospel in the middle of a culture that's questioning how can we ever even know anything about God. The church has really failed in a lot of ways. So I'm not panning agnostics, but my, my point is just to say this. If you are going to be someone who is naturally, from the overflow of your spiritual life, talking about Jesus, which is, I think, what we're going to, then you cannot be living in this place of agnosticism, resolving that you won't know, that you can't know God. You need to be, I think, to be this sort of person, a person who is moving towards faith, not, not performance, not just putting on faith, like, oh, I'm just going to act like I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Not, not that but training to become a person who has growing faith, dealing with doubts and moving past the point of doubt to the point of faith. Let's look at John 20 for a second, okay? Um, you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? That's, what we, that's who we, how we know him. Thomas, oh yeah, the doubter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's all we know about Thomas, Doubting Thomas, okay? So this is a little moment in the, in the, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, uh, where we hear the story of Doubting Thomas. It's really his moment in the sun. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, and what, we ha- what has happened is, like, Jesus has, has been crucified. Um, he's died. All of Jerusalem has watched him die. All of Jerusalem has seen him be crucified. Everybody knows he's dead. He gets buried. But on the third day, he rises again. And this is just like right after that, the disciples are saying, we've seen him alive. You know, people, some, some of the disciples have seen him alive. Uh, Mary has seen him alive. And, and, and so they're, they're gathered together. And this is, this is what happens in John 20. It says this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As my father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your fingers, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. We see a series of events unfold. Jesus is risen again. The disciples, it's funny, it's funny because like, I don't think it's fair to call this the, the passage of the doubting Thomas. I mean, like, honestly, the disciples were gathered. They were in disbelief. They're all sitting there wondering, could this possibly be true? In this, this, this smaller gathering of disciples, what, what, they, they, they just have Jesus shows up to them. And he says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And then these disciples, seeing this, they rejoice. And then Jesus goes on, he says, peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, I also send you. As my Father has sent me, I also send you. So what happens? The disciples are gathered, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's come back, he's, he shows himself among them, he says, this is my hands, this is my side. I am the real living Jesus, the one you saw die. I am now alive, and now, peace be upon you, I'm sending you out with the knowledge that I've, I'm alive. Man, and then something happens, and something happens, right? Thomas, poor Thomas just wasn't there. I don't know, maybe he was getting something from the store. Uh, he wasn't around at that time. He comes back to this gathering of disciples, and he's like, they're like, oh, we saw him, we saw him. And he's like, well, good for you. Like, great for you that you saw Jesus. Like, but unless I see him, unless I put my hands in, in the place where, where, his, where, where, his, where the nails went through, and unless I touch his side, you're not going to convince me. And here we have doubting Thomas. And it's funny because, like, I just have to wonder if, if the other disciples who, who, who saw Jesus at first, like, had they not seen him, they, they'd be the doubting disciples. The difference between Thomas and these disciples is that the disciples first came and Jesus just showed up and he presented himself to them as alive. And so they believed because they saw him. And then we, we pan doubting Thomas because he didn't see him, right? We say, oh, he's a doubter, right? Well, yeah, he didn't see him. The other guy saw him. He didn't see him. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, they had the benefit of seeing. They didn't. We see doubting Thomas. But you know what? Honestly, like, I don't think this is a story about doubting Thomas. This is not a story about Doubting Thomas. It is wrong to call it that. That's not the point of the story. The story is not about Doubting Thomas. This is it's a story about the loving, living, gracious, and faithful, and merciful Jesus who reveals himself to people. In time, in space, he, he revealed himself to these disciples knowing oh, they've got to see me. They've got to know I'm alive. They're not, I'm not just going to send them a letter and just say, like, yeah, I swear I'm alive. I show up among them. They see my hands. They see my side. They know. And then Thomas wasn't there. And, and Jesus says, oh, no problem. I got like some time in about eight days. I'm going to come back and I'm going to show them just like I showed these other ones. 
This is a story about a faithful God. It's not about how terrible it is that we should ever doubt anything that God ever said. It's about the fact that, yeah, doubt is problematic, and Jesus knows how to heal it because he shows us who he is. He's faithful to do that. We don't have this story to warn us away from doubt, though certainly we should avoid doubt because it's, it's not a great place to live. But we have this story to point us to the fact that Jesus is the God who reveals himself, who proves himself to be everything that he says he is. Jesus' response to, to, to Thomas's doubt is not withholding, not saying you better get it together, you better say the right things, you better believe the right things. It's not withholding, but it's revealing. It's stepping into, okay, Thomas was gone. He didn't have the benefit of, of me showing up, and he needs something. He needs me to show up and, and, and prove to him that I'm God, and so I'm going to do that because that's who I am. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is not a withholding God, but a revealing God. He is not harsh and disappointed, but he is gracious, and he's understanding, and he's caring. And when we doubt, he is willing to show us who he is, because that is what he's like, and that is what he's been doing since the beginning of time, since he began to grace the world with his presence. Always, even in the Old Testament, he is moving into the world. He is engaging the world. He is casting light into a dark place place, that is his nature. He's willing to show us who he is. He's the living God. And the difference between a doubter and an agnostic is an agnostic does not expect Jesus to show up at all, and a doubter just says, I really need Jesus to show up. Someone with faith, someone who talks about Jesus, from the overflow of their heart with other people, is someone who has come to know the character of God and has known that God is living, loving, active, and faithful. We don't need to know, honestly, like, if you just know that, you'll be a person who talks about that. It'll be easy to talk about that if you become deeply convicted of his mercy and his kindness and his grace and the fact that he is alive. I think that's the gospel that we talk about because that's the actual good news. Um, Leslie Newbegin, who I like a lot, he says this. I think it's kind of helpful. He says, by the gospel, we don't mean Christianity. Christianity is what generations of us have made of the gospel, and, and we know we have often made a mess of it. <laughs> We're not talking about religious experience either, because that is also a very ambivalent affair. We're talking about a factual statement, namely that at a certain point in history, the history of this world, God, who is the author, the sustainer, the goal of all that exists, of all being and all meaning and all truth, has become present in our human history as the man, Jesus, whom we can know and whom we can love and serve. And that by his incarnation, his ministry, his death and resurrection, he's finally broken the powers that oppress us. 
And he's created a space and time in which we who are unholy can nevertheless live in fellowship with a God who's holy. I think so many of us, and I, and I count myself among this, uh, like in the, among this group at times, we slip into a place where we think, sure, like Jesus came, I believe certain things about him, I believe that he did certain things, but the idea that we can know God can become really abstract. And that is just like wearying to the soul. Well, so how do you fix that? Well, how did Thomas fix his doubt? His kind of playing with agnosticism. Until something changes, I'm I'm just going to resign myself to this place. Funny enough, he didn't do much at all. (laughs) He didn't do much at all. He waited eight days but he probably would have waited 16 days or 80 days or eight years. Like, he just waited indefinitely. Not really waited. He just let time pass. He didn't really do much at all. He had settled. So he's not really instructive for us in that. Like, we shouldn't, like, like imitate him. But this story is instructed to us in, in, in this regard. In the end, he was a recipient something he didn't even expect. The grace and the kindness of God who reveals himself to him. God is revealing himself to Thomas, not because Thomas was deserving it or because Thomas was seeking. He's not the kind of God who just reveals himself to those of us who can earn it. He reveals himself to anybody he desires to reveal himself to. And he's doing this thing. He's on this mission to reveal himself to the world because that's who he is. He's merciful. He's good. He's gracious. He's alive. He did what we could not do. He stood in our place and he took our punishment. He bore our shame and he's risen to life so that we might rise with him. He's a living God. He's a God who is alive. He's gracious and he's showing him that, that, that himself to be that over and over again. We see this throughout scripture. He's just kind. He's gracious. And to get over our agnosticism, to get over our doubt, we need to reassure ourselves and train ourselves into a knowledge that that's true, that he's the living God, that he's the one who is with us. He's not an abstract God. He's a present God. He's a very real, kind, gracious, and merciful God. We need to open our eyes and see that, in fact, he is working all around us. We need to be willing to see him working around us. Thomas was at this point, I, no, not even, not even really that willing, but Jesus breaks through this point, place, and he shows him who he is. He says, be believing. Don't be unbelieving. Be the sort of person who can recognize me working, me revealing myself to you. Hebrews 11, 6, um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, he says, it's in with, uh, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists <laughs> and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I love this verse because it's so like, such like, well, duh. Like probably, probably in order to have faith and to come to God, I, I must first believe that he exists and that he's the sort of God who, be, because he exists, he rewards those who sincerely seek him. But I think like it's on this very fundamental thing that a lot of us are just 
we are sitting in doubt. Do you really exist, God? If I really seek you, if I really set my face to find you, if I really try to open my eyes and, 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 and seek you, like, are you really going to show up? It's not that we just need to do a better job of believing that Jesus died. It's that we need to be taking on this attitude of people who are, who are seeking God. That's what we need to do. If we're going to get over our agnosticism, we have to understand who God is, what he's like, and then be people who are acting according to a knowledge that he is not, not, not just like he's already done everything, he's already told me everything I need to know, but he's actually the sort of God who will tell me everything I need to know if I just seek him. I can come to him with my doubts and just say, God, I really have this doubt. I really need you. And you need to touch your, touch your arm. I want you to put my, put my hand in your side and be the sort of God who would actually expect him to do that. See, that's what Thomas's doubt. Thomas's wasn't, doubt was, wasn't his, his, the problematic thing. wasn't that he needed to see Jesus because that's what the other disciples had. They, they saw him. It's unfair that they should get to see him and that he should be expected not to see him. The problem is he really didn't expect Jesus to come. He'd just kind of give it up on that point. We've got to understand that God rewards those who sincerely seek him, that when we set our hearts to seek him, he does reveal himself. Uh, You'll probably remember Dallas Willard's definition of faith. We've talked about it a couple times in the series. Faith is a commitment to action, often beyond our natural abilities, based upon a knowledge of God and God's ways. To be a person who is actively talking about Jesus... I think we just need to be people who have committed to living a life on the basis of what we know about God and the thing that we need to know about God, that we must know about God is that he is alive, he's loving, he's involved in my life, he's involved in your life, he's involved in the lives of the people all around you, he's involved in Western Washington, in downtown Seattle, he's involved in your workplace, he's involved in all these places that it might seem unlikely that he would show up, you might think, but he's wanting to be there, be present there, he wants to be involved in in, in your doubts and in your questions, he wants to reveal himself in the middle of all of it, he is the kind of God who would and does and is doing exactly that. To be a person who's committed to this is, is, is to be the person who has a knowledge of God and God's ways and knows God to be a revealing God. And when I, like, just set myself to just, to, just, to just like hold on to this one thing, I think it just opens up everything else. It opens up my life. It opens up the life of faith, what it would be like to, to walk with Jesus. It like opens up things to, to think and really believe and come to know and trust the character of God and to know that he's involved in my life. And beyond that, um, it makes it so that I can tell other people. The more I understand this about God, it means that I can tell other people with confidence and joy that they also can trust in God because he's a God who is living and he's alive and he's a God who reveals himself to people who doubt and so that they could just go and pray him and, and, and seek, like sincerely seek, like, like test him, test him, go find God, try, try to find God. He'll, he's the sort of God who if, if, we, if we take steps towards him, he takes steps towards us. So, so the most urgent need I have in my spiritual life is just to be settled on this question of God's character. 
before anything else, I need to know and I need to seek out the evidence so that I would know and he's going to show me who he is. I need to know him as a good father, a gracious Lord, like one who would love me so much that he'd die for me. They need to know his character, and his character, he's not, he's not angry, he's not bitter, he's not withholding. He pours himself out on people. This is what he tells us about himself. Do we believe that? Have we experienced that? Have we just sat and sought him? Have we waited and watched for him? I think so much of the time, like, like we, we don't experience this because we're just not even paying attention because we don't even expect him to be the sort of God who would show up to us. But he says that he will be. And it's sort of like a crazy thing because at some point, if we're going to trust in Jesus and at some point, if we're going to be sort of people who are growing deep in our faith, we're just throwing ourselves on the active presence of God. And that is so exposing. I even was like, like preparing this message, and I'm like, I think this could be really good, but it also could just be terrible. So if I just tell people, the one thing you have to do is trust and know that God is good, and what if they don't believe it? At some point, you just have to know that God is good and that he's going to reveal himself to you. At some point, you just have to understand that he says, peace be with you. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. I'm sending you out to be people who are filled with peace, filled with my presence, who have this, this palpable and tangible experience of my work and my care and my oversight in your day-to-day life. At some point, we just have to live that way and trust in him to arrange my life around the knowledge that he's going to reveal himself to me. And he's going to care for me. And that he's not angry because he's already died to take away all the sin that I could ever do. And all this separation that I could ever put up around him. He's already taken away all the shame and all the guilt. And all I just have to do is turn to him and see him for who he is. See his grace and his kindness. To wait on him. Even when... I have my doubts, to seek him, to look for him. If I plant grass, I don't plant the grass and immediately just say, that grass is never going to grow. I plant grass knowing that if I give it time and I water it, eventually it's going to sprout, I think. I don't plant a lot of grass. So too, like, we need to be shaped and formed. Our lives need to understand that, man, God is, has, has arranged things. He's arranged things according to his grace, according to his mercy. He's, he's arranged things because he's, he's, he's like, like the, so that we can trust in him. And so we can just like live our life, plant seeds of faith, which are just things saying, okay, God, unless you show up in this, it's probably not going to come to anything. But I'm confident you're the sort of God who does show up. We just need to become people who are seeking him and, and just knowing him. Um, just a few, like three quick practical things, like just to apply this. So if I want to become a person who is opening my mouth and I'm putting away kind of like agnosticism, you know, this kind of, kind of neutral, living, living, living with doubts, making peace with my doubts, then I'm going to be a person who is first to, to seek him through just waiting on him and watching for him, just paying attention. I need to wait. I need to give it time. 
but I, but, but you, know, I, you know who I wait for? I wait for people who I know will show up. Like if I were meeting somebody, I, I made a coffee appointment with one of you, and after 20 minutes, I'd start to think, I don't know. And then maybe after 30 minutes, I'd leave. Sorry. <laughs> right, because at some point, I'm going to say, nah, they're not going to show up. But if I thought, you know what, I'm confident they're on their way. Maybe they're just stuck in traffic. Maybe there's things going on. Maybe there's things that I don't know that are going on. I'm just going to keep waiting. We need to be the sorts of people who say, I'm confident in the character of my God. I'm confident that even when I'm, I'm doubting and when things are difficult and when ah, things seem a little bleak, I'm going to just keep waiting and I'm going to keep watching for signs of his coming. Like I'm going to be looking out in the, from the coffee shop to the parking lot for your car, right? I'm going to be looking out. I'm going to say, where's God's grace moving? Where is he at work? I'm going to be having that attitude of just pressing in and continuing wait and continue to hold on to that expectation. And then, honestly, like we need to become people who get really disciplined about pointing to the signs that we see God's working at. We need to do that together. So like the life of faith, honestly, um, it can be kind of silly because it's like looking at the grass growing, right? And you wait maybe a week. I don't know. Do you wait a week? And then it starts, I don't know. You wait a certain amount of time and you water it a lot and it gives the appropriate amount of sun. I don't know how you do that around here, but um, it starts to grow. And then what you do is you can see, hey, look, there's a blade of grass right there. That grass is going to grow. That seed that was planted, I can be confident that actually something's going to come up from that dirt patch and it's going to be good. And I need to just like, assure myself that I see good things going on there. And we could become people who together are just like disciplined about saying in the middle of, of dark times and difficult times, you know, I think God is moving in this place and we should just keep waiting. We should just keep expecting him. We should just keep watching because he, he's beginning to do little things. He's beginning to do things. I mean, like, think about the place we live in. Like, I know Christians in, in the Seattle area can be so discouraged by the culture and, and everything that goes on, and it's wild sometimes. But I really think that God can move here. Could we be people who, instead of just talking, oh, shucks, maybe I should move to Idaho. No, sorry. If any of you Idahoans are here watching from Idaho, like, what if we're people who say, yeah, it's pretty bleak, but look what God's doing here. And look what God's doing here. And if he's doing these little things here, don't you think he could do more? Isn't he the sort of God who could just move right into downtown Seattle and just bring a revival, bring transformation? Isn't he that kind of God? Like, like what do we really believe about who he is and what he is? He's not a God who needs us to do the work. He's a God who just shows up and reveals himself to the world. He's been doing it for millennia beyond that. And we need to be disciplined about pointing to the thing he's, he's doing and encouraging one another. When we can't see it, I want you to tell me, oh, here's some things. Here's God's grace. Here's him, him, him working. There's no other way to do this except that we do it together because I don't have it in me all the time. I don't have it in me all the time. But you can have it for me, and then God can move me along. And if we become people, I promise you, if we just do step two, step three is just going to take care of itself. 
If we become people who are pointing to God's work in the, like the, the, the beginning, the small things, who are, who are becoming aware of God moving, even when things aren't, don't seem quite as they should be, then we are just going to be people who learn the discipline of sharing Jesus with other people. Because we'll, we'll start to recognize things in our own lives where God's moving, and then we'll start to see it in other people's lives. And we'll just be able to see, we'll be able to share Jesus simply by this, saying, hey, God has done these things for me, and I, I see in your own life God is moving. Can I just point you to those things? Like Jesus is just, just lighting up your world, and you're not even aware of it. We're to be people who just interpret that to people. That's how we share Jesus with people. There's some, there's some more nuts and bolts. There's some actual sharing gospel. Again, we'll get to the real practical stuff, but I think just on an attitude basis, just being willing to point to the grace of God. It's really, um, I think it really is that simple. Worship team is going to come up here, um, and we're going we're gonna to worship God together. But I just wanted to show you something. I'm on a, um, uh, I don't recommend this, but I spend a lot of time on Christian Twitter. It can be a little bit dicey. It takes a lot of faith to see God moving on Christian Twitter, I'll tell you, because there's mostly a lot of just griping. Um, but I spend a lot of... But just so you know, Christian Twitter is not a thing. It's just Twitter, but you mostly follow Christians, right? That's not like a separate website called Christian Twitter, just so you, just so you are aware. I, I realize that is with sort of insider language. Um, so I'm just on Twitter. Um, and... There's this really cool thing going on. If you guys ever, you guys know where Asbury University is? It's in Kentucky, Christian school. You guys heard about this? Nobody? Ha ha, Christian Twitter strikes again. <laughs> um, last Wednesday at Asbury University, the college campus in Kentucky, students went in 10 o'clock chapel. Chapel was supposed to end at 11 o'clock. The chapel is still going. Wasn't planned. There was no revival meeting. It was just chapel. It was supposed to be 45 minutes long. <laughs> but something happened, um, and check it out. It seems to be really legitimate. Were these students gathered, and they didn't hype themselves up. They didn't fake it till they made it. They just came, and they gathered, and they had this strong sense that God, in his mercy the God of love, the God of, of kindness and acceptance was just there and nobody wanted to leave. And now, five days later, 24 hours a day, it's just going. Not because anybody put it on a calendar or decided to do it, but just because God's merciful and he isn't just looking for people who have their lives all together, but just is looking for people who are willing to go through life and recognize that he's involved in it. And that's all these people. Everybody who goes to this, this people are now, now starting to go from out, out of town, right? Which is typical. And everybody who goes there is just saying, like, nobody's in charge. It's just this thing... And people walk in, and it's just like the love of God is present. It's not, it's not wild. It's just, it's just that God is just showing up, and he's proving his kindness, and he's proving his grace, and he's proving his love. 
And revivals are these unique times when God is doing that in particular, but it's what God is doing all the time. That's God's MO in the world. It's what he's doing in Jesus. He's light in the world. He's light shining in darkness. And we're in this way of thinking that oh, we have to, we have to just light a fire. We don't have to light a fire. We don't have to light up the world. Jesus lights up the world. We just need to open our eyes. We just need to be people who get over our shame because Jesus has put it away from us and get over our, our, our consumption with our just our petty little problems, which is like we all have them. And people who are just caught up in a knowledge that we have a God who's working and revealing himself to us. So let's pray and let's worship the Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. When when, when Jesus rose from the grave, he sent his presence into the world. He sent his peace into the world. And Lord, we are just people who have, uh, because of your grace and because of your kindness, Lord, we've just opened our eyes to your grace and your love. We've opened our eyes to the ways that you care for us. We've opened our eyes to you, the living God, and we want more, Lord. We seek you more. We want to be people who are more deeply aware of who you are and who are just like seeing you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you remind us of what's true? Would you remind us of who you are? Let's just let's worship the Lord together. Let's worship the Lord.